At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome back to the 90th percentile. Your host, Jeff Ponce, alongside me, as always, is my co-host, Matt Pajak of Logan Sports. We brought back a guest from a few weeks back. That would be Matt Pierce. If you haven't listened to it, go back and check out our first conversation with him on the exposure funnel, youth baseball, etc. We're talking about, I'll say, bat sensor technologies today, uh, whether it's real, you know, whether it's worthwhile or not. And how that industry has creeped into the youth space. Of course, like I said, Matt Pierce, you can find him on Twitter at TX underscore Pierce. That's like Paul Pierce, P-I-E-R-C-E. He is of South Texas Sliders and Kincaid Baseball. I almost said South incorrectly. What's going on, Pierce? I'm going to go to Uh to you first, Pierce, and not Matt Pajak. It's going to be clear with that. Okay. All right. Ready. I've been appreciate you guys having me on. You know, yeah, backed by popular demand. Exactly, one hundred (laughs) percent. I enjoy it, man. We have a lot of good talks with Maddie on the phone. Why not? Why not jump on and record some? Yeah, Jeff. um, Let me just say that you know, in that little intro, a little uh, little word vomit there, huh? Words were just flying out in every every which direction. Hey, you know, I I come in, I'm like I'm like twist on the bars, dude. I'm just I'm spitting. What can I say? <laughs> Slow jams. Yeah, you said that uh, bat sensors are they even real? And I can I I can only think of that like recent meme of the lady on the airplane pointing, saying that that. I, I like to liken it to my favorite conspiracy theory, which is uh, birds aren't real and they've all been replaced and they're just uh, government spies. So maybe the bat sensors cool. are just birds. Bat sensors are not real. No. <laughs> uh, before we get get talking about bat sensors, which are very real and a, a very real variable in the amateur sports world. And today we're going to, specifically dial in on the youth space, which is, you know, like 12 and under, right? Uh, Before we talk about any of that, I know Pierce has very, very strong opinions on the decisions that were made this past weekend on which four teams will be competing in the college football playoff. Uh, So I I think we should talk about that because uh, actually, as of this morning, I saw a nice little easy solution there for you, Pierce. You talking about my tweet? Yeah, your tweet. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, in the cage yesterday with some high school players and just talking to other people who play and, and coach sports, um, we just got in some deep conversations, right? And I'll just I'll just kick it off with this. Um, one of the guys yesterday that I was talking with, one of the high school kids that were supporting Florida State not being in, right? And and I was arguing Florida State. In. And I think a lot of people just misunderstand my argument, right? Like, I'm a, I've been in sports my whole life. I played it. I coached it. There's a reason why we play the games, and I'll and I'll live and die on that hill. And uh, I understand why they're not in. And he, and we we kept having that back and forth. Well, he sent me a text message today of somebody on social media that said people need to know why Florida State was number five. Perfect. They averaged 3.4 yards per play against Louisville, and the score was tied at three in the third quarter while Alabama was beating the committee's number one team. <clears throat> so I'll lead with this, and then we can we can dissect it if you want or move on. But I said, I think you're missing my argument. Number one, I don't think they would win the college playoff if they were in it. Number two, Bama can absolutely win this whole thing. Number three, Georgia could absolutely win this whole thing. Number four, Ohio State could actually win this whole thing. 
I don't care what their stats were in the game. They held a team who averaged seven yards per play less than three. They held a team who averaged 30 points per game to no touchdowns. They went undefeated in a conference that has wins over the SEC. They scheduled a top 10, a top 10 out-of-conference game versus an SEC opponent and beat them by 20. They did literally everything you have to do to get in, everything. And because one player goes down, they get left out. The 49ers, who are my favorite football team, lost their quarterback in week two last year. Their backup was the absolute last guy drafted from Iowa State. And he led them all the way to the NFC Championship until he himself got hurt. That's why we play the game. Would FSU do that? Probably not. But the fact that NCAA football as a sport didn't allow it to even happen robs the true meaning of sports. Do I understand it? Sure. But as a person who's been in sports my entire life, it goes against everything I was taught as a player, everything I believe in as a coach. Next man up, pull the rope, play through adversity, and prove doubters wrong are all reasons we play the game. And so Pierce is out here right. like trying to get votes in the next election with that thing. Yeah. <laughs> and so and so that's where I told him, you know, I got some Florida State fan, you know, uh Cooper Chambers, uh shout out to that guy. Um, he plays for me in the summer and at Kincaid and he's a huge Florida state fan. He was really upset and I was arguing with him, but like, you understand why they're not in. And I said, the easy, so the easy solution here is this is not a college football playoff. It's a final four invitation. It's an invitational. That's all it is like. And I think if they would just rebrand it and call it an invitational and quit calling it a playoff, then you give yourself to say, Hey, do we want who we want? Deal with it. When you call it a playoff and put criteria on it and don't go with the criteria, then it's not a playoff. Just call it an invitational and be done with it. I'm, I'm not going to fully buy into college football until they just do away with conferences and then just have a premier league type of setup where there are demotions and promotions. Because it would be the best possible solution if you have a Boise State of whatever 10 years ago where somebody invests into the program, they make the money, they play their way up. As they play their way up into higher divisions, they have opportunities to recruit better players, more NIL money, et cetera. I just think it's a broken system where, you know, Florida State can win the ACC, which is a power five conference. You've seen national champions in the very recent history come from the ACC. Florida State, if you ranked out college football programs, they're probably in the top 10 all time. I, I don't think there's... a or you can argue them right in the top 10. Um, it seemed wild to me that I understand why, that they were not the best, one of the best four teams, but you could probably argue that Georgia was better than other teams that made it as well. So we recognize, they recognize resume with certain teams and then not with others. And Florida state played two sec opponents, I believe in people. So, you know, if, if you want to talk about the sexiness of the wins, the quarterback situation, this is also college football. And these big programs, these backup quarterbacks, were probably four- and five-star recruits themselves. Yeah. The, the, I mean, the interesting thing on that real quick, because, like, talking to Mike Robbins, and we talk about this a lot, head coach in New Mexico Junior College, <clears throat> you know, how do they get to these rankings? Do preseason rankings matter? And you talk about Georgia, and I'll argue against Georgia all day. They didn't play anybody. They, they scheduled a week non-conference, and – they have nothing that Texas, Bama, and Florida State have in this argument as far as a one-loss team. Like, so they're out. What I find what I find interesting is is you can still look up the BCS rankings, and I think the BCS rankings were really good. They got it wrong one year with a, with a 2003 USC Trojans uh, not getting in and then demolishing Michigan in a bowl game, uh, and that's how they claim one of their national championships. But I wonder if the committee today still uses the BCS as part of their system. And so you can look it up right now. The BCS right now, you can still look it up, has Michigan 1, Wisconsin 2, Bama 3, Florida State 4, Texas 5, Georgia 6. Is it and Washington, think, you mean? Yeah, Washington. What I say? Wisconsin. Oh, Washington. Washington 2. I wish it was the Badgers. Yeah, yeah, Washington 2. And so I, like, I, find it really I find it really interesting that they got one and two, no argument. 
they had Georgia at six, which I said before this all even came out that I think Georgia six, the final spot, two spots came between three teams. And I think what the committee came down to is Bama is the third best team in the country. I'm not some Bama homer, but they're the, right now they're the third best team in the country. And it was impossible to leave Bama in and not Texas. Impossible. Like, yeah, no, I agree. They were, those are the two things that to me, while yes, they have Texas at, at, at three, that's simply because Texas beat Bama. It really came down to, is it Texas or is it Florida state? And they picked Texas and then therefore had to put them in at three. I'll that's say this I, is, I'll say this as well. I think that this is the first time uh, in a long time where we've had the problem of there were too many teams qualified for the playoff that actually had a chance to win, which has not often been the case. It's usually been like, you can kind of predict who the final is going to be and maybe you'll get one good game. That's why so, everyone's upset. Yeah. Like if you're, if you're Florida state fans, you're like, why don't we have a chance? We're a power five. We're undefeated. I mean, <laughs> there Florida was an argument, there was an argument last year in the same thing. And they went ahead and allowed TCU to get in. And everyone thought TCU shouldn't be in. And I and I was one of them. And I had no, no, I never thought they were going to win that first semifinal game. And they did, right? Like, yeah, and they yeah. did. And it was like, oh, my gosh, dude, can TCU really do this? They're really not that good. And then they just got it. The luck ran out and <laughs> they got they got curb stomped in the national championship. But nobody even had them in that game. Yeah, I mean, for for me and Jeff, I love the relegation style uh, idea. I think it just needs to go to a full on NFL concept, like a, with obviously more teams involved. You just you you got to break up the conferences. I mean, you got to just separate college football from every other college sport. The, the conferences can remain what they are for every other sport, but they need to be playing each other all year. And then you need to get to like an actual playoff structure. You can't just have like this four teams they'll never do it two weeks it's it's what you got to do because jeff the beauty of college sports and that's why i said to pierce yesterday on the phone and this is why everybody gets obsessed with march madness is that there's the there's an opportunity for cinderella and in america gets behind cinderella right and it happens every year in march madness but that can never happen in college football because like ucf not allowed right you need to have a playoff structure that has enough teams in it where you can throw Cinderella in there. And if Cinderella gets smacked 64, nothing in the first round, like that's fine. They were there. They earned the right to be there. They were undefeated, whatever it was. Right. But like, what if they don't get smacked 64, nothing. And then all of a sudden you have a much more compelling product on TV. People are tuning in. They're watching UCF or they're watching, you know, whoever it is play against a big school after they took down a big school. Like that's, that's what college sports is all about. But like college sports, you, you can't do that when there's only four spots and we're over here. You know, like Florida state's not even a Cinderella. They're an undefeated power five school, Jeff, that you said like top 10 college football program of all time. And they're just not allowed in. Like it's just a really, really bad setup that needs, it doesn't need like a tweak. It needs like someone to come in and be like, okay, we're going to do this way different. This is how we're going to do it. Let's go. I say this about a lot of things. It'll never happen. And the reason why it'll never, ever happen is because we're doing a podcast today on Baseball America about bat sensors. And we are spending the first 20 minutes talking about college football. And the moment you do what you're talking about, all that goes away. No one argues it. There's not much emotion into it. And and it all goes away, and it turns into the NFL, where I may watch games on Sunday, I may not watch games on Sunday. I'm really gonna kick the can around until until the games get real at the end, and you will destroy hundred thousand football state attendant football stadiums on every Saturday because you'll diminish how important it is to be almost to be perfect and still be in the argument. You'll diminish it and. The sport will go away. NIL will go away. They won't get paid. It won't bring as much drama. They're talking about it on everything. Everything. All right. Then, 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 then give me six in the first two games. They're going to 12 we, next year. It's 12 is too much. 12 is too much. Eight would be perfect. 
12 is um, the NFL. Now we can't be chasing perfection. Hey, hey 12, <laughs> 12, 12 teams, top four teams get by, buys, and the first round is played on college campus, and that sells like hotcakes. That sells like crazy. Pierce, uh, let me just say you have, uh, Georgia, you have Georgia Ole Miss at Georgia in the first round right now for a playoff spot. Like, oh, that would oh, be insane. I'm with you 100%. I think you bring up a great point, though, on all attention uh, being good attention when it comes to polarizing sports. That's, that's, oh, yeah. I mean, that was Pierce out here dropping a bar. That might be the second best bar that's been dropped on this podcast behind Brendan's. Uh, what do you say? Pressure to or good things don't come without pressure or nerves. Good things don't come without nerves. It was something like that. I can't remember what it was. Anyway, uh, let's talk about Matt Pierce a little bit here, just to kind of set the scene here. Why he? Why he of all people? Matt Pierce of all people is on talking about bat sensors exposure funnel if you didn't listen to that podcast make sure you listen to it that gives you plenty of background there but he is a longtime hitting instructor that is um you know above everything that he does probably his sweet spot uh when it comes to coaching we've had conversations for the past six or seven years on everything in regards to uh hitting the swing um trends in hitting things that we see on social media um, the back and forth and, you know, years ago you came across bat sensors for the first time. Um, and that's why we're going to have you on. Cause you do, uh, you don't just buy into new things. You, uh, you hyperanalyze them to make sure that they're worth buying into. And I do appreciate that about you. So, um, yeah, private hitting instructor, hitting coach at Kincaid, um, all things hitting Matt Pierce. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, in regards to the bat sensors and, and Jeff is going to be uh, also involved in this, this discussion here, because we talked about this separately the other day. Um, the, the most blatantly, and, and this isn't, you know, we're not out here to, to take down bat sensors. They obviously have to place whatever, but like the, the thing that I think sticks a lot of people on bat sensors is that it's one point on the end of the bat and that is not all there is to a swing. So, um, Pierce, I want you to talk a little bit about spine angle and how that's not accounted for and why that's a problem. And, you know, Jeff hop in as you feel necessary. Yeah. So, I mean, it was years ago. I can't, I can't tell you how many, I, I wasn't, I wasn't where I'm at now, but you know, when you, when, when the tech was rolling out and it was still getting rolled out, it still is getting rolled out. I get phone calls from people to want to come demo things, right? Whether that's win reality or, or a bat sensor or any new tech, right? So <clears throat> I was contacted. They were in town, Houston, trying to push their sensors. And I'll, I, I love all stuff. I, I believe in, I want to start this off. I believe in data, right? Like I believe in it. I believe in measuring. I believe in measuring multiple times and cutting once, right? Like this is not an old school versus new school argument. I'm in the new school of, of measuring. But so when, when the bat sensor came, we had, we had hitters in there, right? Minor leaguers, high school hitters. And we were just hitting the cage and reading the bat sensors. And the, my, first, my first question to the guy in the cage that was trying to get us to, to purchase bat sensors, if you will, was, the data that I can get behind some of the data that you're giving me, right? Bat speed, hand speed, whatever. I can get behind that. But when you start showing me a 3D graphic of what my body is doing in space and you're giving me a, a metric like spine angle as I'm swinging the bat or what they call early connection, which is where the bat and the shoulders are perpendicular with each other and where the body, arms, bat is in reference to connection at contact. My first question is, how does a sensor on a bat know that if it's not talking to a sensor that's on the body? And can we read it through space? Like, I mean, I don't want to, I'm not like some genius here on tech, but from my understanding of a bat sensor, it's, it's a glorified GPS unit that's also measuring, you know, 
it knows that there's a, a lever at the end of it. So it, it, there is some measurements that are real. But when we start talking about when we start talking about connection and connection at contact, it doesn't know. And so he, he really couldn't answer those things and kept trying to explain how it knows, how it knows. And it got down to we're going to do two tests in these cage. And I'm going to the, the first test was going to be that I can fool it on your early connection scores. Right. Like I can fool it. And I know that if I'm holding the bat like this, it's going to feel early connection when it feels that bat flatten out. But it doesn't necessarily know where my shoulders is. I think it's guessing by the way the bat comes this way. So all I did was is I stood there. And I literally dropped the bat like that and swung like this and never rotated, if you will, just swung. And it it gave me numbers, right? And it gave me numbers about rotation and early connection. And I said, that can't be right. I You saw me not rotate. You, you saw me do this. Then the next one was spine angle, right? And it was saying, you know, hinge, which is something I – fully believe in the cage. So I get in the cage, I get in there and I stand straight up like this and I swing. And I, this time I rotate, but I purposely keep my shoulders like level. And then the next time I hinge over and I rotate like this and the numbers, the numbers were the same. I mean, give or take a, a couple degrees. Right. But I mean, it, it was, it was the same. And that's when we got into the argument of feel versus real, right? Well, maybe you really did this. You just didn't realize. And <laughs> it was like, dude, I've been coaching swings for a while now, man. Like I can force myself into bad patterns. And so then we, we, we took, we took an iPad. He filmed me using another app where we can measure spine angle and he filmed from behind and I redid the test. And as soon as we put them side by side and he pushed play, we didn't even have to draw the lines on it to see that that it was off. One, I was like this, and the other one, I was like this. And it was like, but it says I hinge. And you now clear as day in data or in, in a video see that I didn't. So that was my first hesitant with it. I know, I know numerous pro clubs were trying to cheat the early connection score. They they went from not having guys' bats be vertical or up and literally starting like this in the swing to so they could well if early connection is so important let's just start there and we they were starting guys like this well that brings up a whole nother bag of issues that if this were a hitting conversation of what that does to adjustability to different pitch locations right like so yeah you are now checking a number but without getting too deep into it you were you were grouped for a pitch up in the zone but if you faced a guy who could put it at the bottom of the zone to get from here to the bottom of the zone now became very difficult. You had no adjustability. And we could list major leaguers that we saw go through those issues from minor leagues into the major leagues and and have those issues without without naming names. But um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there's some positives to it. Bat speed, right? Like bat speed. Sure. I mean, if we're going to just want to know what bat speed is, fine. That's awesome. Um, another another the only stat that I know of that is consistent across all levels of play as far as like benchmarks, if you will, is vertical bat angle. So vertical bat angle, right? Like what it is, it's going to be the same for a major leaguer as it is for a high school kid, because we're that thing's calibrated to the same strike zone, right? So it's measuring vertical bat angle. Well, that's great that it goes vertical bat angle, but vertical bat angle is only good if you know where the pitch is. So why are we measuring vertical bat angle if we're not if we're not also calculating what the incoming pitch is? So if my vertical bat angle is flat and it tells me what that is, but the pitch was low, like that's not good, right? If my vertical bat angle is here and the pitch was up, I'm missing the ball. So vertical bat angle, if you want to measure it, great, but you also need to know what the incoming pitch is to know if was it good vertical bat angle? Was it bad vertical bat angle? So the vertical bat angle, like, it, it's, it's not a good stat alone. It's not a standalone stat, and the sensor doesn't doesn't compare anything else with it, right? So I just I just have issues with um, with 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 some of the stuff that I, I never could get answers on. I I, I just they just never. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah. And I think like there's a couple of things like questions that came into my mind. I don't know if we'll be able to answer them. I think the first thing I wanted to touch on, though, is what is the benefit to a team to have guys like cheating metrics? Is it just to be able to sell the early connection number? I mean, because if it doesn't translate to results, then like, really, what do you care? It's something that's probably going to have to be fixed anyway. I, like, it seems funny to me, like, and these are, these are pro teams that were doing this. Mm-hmm. It's unusual. I just, I, I'm, and I'm just purely asking like what the, what the benefit of it was. I assume is to sell a player on data or people who might be picking. I mean, cause the, the, the that's not, that's not information. That's part of the data sharing agreement through MLB. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think what it comes down to is like using data to prove your worth as a coach, right? Like using uh, it, it's real easy, in my opinion. That's a good perspective. To yeah. sit there and tell player or tell people whether it's to get more hitters or you're trying to advance yourself in in the in the field of baseball that you got someone to hit benchmarks or what you perceive good data is. And if the kid doesn't, if the player doesn't hit, well, that's on him. I did my job, right? Like, well, I don't know why he can't hit. Like he checks all the marks. He can't hit. That's not me. I got him to, I got him to match so-and-so's data points. And, um, and you know, as well as I do, man, like you, you give somebody enough access to high level players, double a players, like some of them, some of these guys are going to advance, right? Like, don't be silly that you think because you you coach double A baseball that every double A player that made it to the big leagues is is like you got your rubber stamp on it, dude. Like, you put a coach in double A, and guys are going to make the big leagues, wh- whether you were their coach or not. Sure. And so, I think what data has done for a lot of people, it's allowed them to to say, oh, well, well, it was this. It, it, he needs to get here because this is what Stanton has, or he needs to get this because this is what Mookie Betts has. And then, you know, it, it, it builds street cred, if you will. Right. Like, yeah, no, totally get it. Yeah. And I, and I think, um, you know, that, that certainly makes sense of like, this is one of those times where it's like coaching to the data versus what works because you feel as if you can deliver tangible results. And I think like any kind of job that you have, there's people that do that. Like I was in sales for years. There's guys that pick up the phone and just, pick it up and hang it up. So their calls register as they made a hundred calls a day yeah. even though they not be doing anything when they're on those calls. Right. But the data looks good and it looks like they're working. But the other thing I wanted to bring up here too, that I thought was interesting was, was BBA, which is something that I don't have a great deal of access to. I've learned about it over a couple of years. I read um, the swing graphs guys book who talks about that quite a bit. And I almost wonder if that's the kind of metric where, it stands on a little bit more when you can measure things like in a, in a 4d way uh, with like a Hawkeye or something like that, where you can't see the body position and you can even provide VBA based upon certain zones, right? 
and like this well, is that's what, what VB, that's what VBA is. looking at launch angles versus like hard hit launch angles and pull side launch angles when i get access to those that tells me a lot more about the value of that launch angle number than just an average you know what i mean so i think oh, yeah i mean me and matt talked about the average average launch angle i mean that that what one guy hits a launch angle zero another guy hits a launch angle 50 on two swings he has a launch angle of 25 and never came close to 25 like what's average launch angle where another guy hit 24 and 26 like which one you rather have but um no vertical bat angle i mean i think is very important right like when you when you talk to youth players when you start coaching youth players it is it really is a big deal that these kids come in from playing t-ball and getting grown up that you know what is a level swing right and if you talk to them what a level swing is they think that it means that the bat is is parallel with the ground when hitting and so on a tee you know they've been taught to like swing level to to the ground right and so that becomes really hard when you're trying to cover a zone and you're swinging level the whole way. So what we, what vertical bat angle is good at is if I see him swing at the bottom of the zone with a level bat, then that's, that's not good. Right. So getting that guy to understand because of where we are in hitting that the bat is going to travel like this on a low pitch becomes an argument because one guy's like, Oh, well, he dropped, he dropped his barrel, right? Like, well, I mean, you have to on that pitch. Like, so vertical bat angle and does show that it happens, right? But it Hawkeye's a much better system to say what is it in relation to his body, what it is relation to the pitch. Um, I guess Kinetrax is another one that is a really good one for this, but it, I've never messed with Kinetrax from my understanding, it does not have the ball coming in as part of one of the readings, right? And that's what some people are trying to figure out. Like, how do you match Kinetrax with the ball? Because it matters. The ball, like where the ball is in there, these things matter. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense why people say uh, hitting is the hardest thing to do in sports because trying to figure out what's going on with the swing, <laughs> what a, a baseball is coming in at, you know, 90, 95 miles per hour, whatever it is, is uh, apparently also <laughs> – a really difficult thing to try and break down and understand. And that's why we're having this discussion about bat sensors. Um, I mean, you say, you say that's hard, right? I say it's hard for a 12 year old who just spent, you know, an hour in a cage being told what every good box number on the bat sensor on the iPhone meant. Now he has to go play today. And he's like, all right, man, let me make sure I hit every checkpoint and hit right. Like on a 12 year old. Oh, that's yeah. a lot. That's a lot. Right. I think what it what it lends itself to, and we'll get into this a little bit later because there's something else I want to touch on before we get to this, and specifically trying to apply the data to youth players is, you know, I mean, that's internal versus external focus of attention. You've got a bunch of like 10 and 11 year olds that are starting to worry about their biomechanics. Like they're going to be so jacked up. Like at, in every competitive baseball game they'll play moving forward, they're just going to be sitting there thinking about like, oh, am I Am I getting to the right angles? What's my bat? This, that, whatever. Like it's everything that, you know, people preach about like having proprioception, feel for where your body is in space without having to look like now they're going to be like trying to feel where everything is in space and it's going to be all on their head as opposed to, you know, external focus of attention. You know, there's a lot of scientific studies that say like, if you just focus on something external from your body, everything will just find its way into place. I don't know different discussion. Uh, we'll get into that here in a little bit, but I do want to talk about the exposure funnel because Pierce, we did talk about this when a, um, there was a collaboration between a bat company and a bat sensor company, uh, that was announced recently, uh, an embedded bat sensor into a bat. It's not the first time that it's happened, but it's the first time that it's going to be widely available in the youth market. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about the tie into the exposure funnel. So for anybody who's listening uh, and did not listen to the exposure funnel discussions that we've had in the past, uh, I highly suggest that you do that. Um, a quick review of the concept, basically those who have the resources to attend showcases, play national travel ball, kind of have an inside track to third party rankings, which 
affects future collegiate and pro opportunities, right? So something that Pierce brought up when this was announced a couple weeks ago, we had a discussion about was um, if you're starting to mass collect data on a bunch of players, a bunch of youth players um, with an expensive bat, um, how does that potentially feed into rankings? How are they going to use that data? And, and how does that um, further the concept of the exposure funnel where people have access to resources to pay for the bat and uh, do all that? They get their data collected and then, you know, potentially that gets piped into rankings at some point or um, somebody's looking at it and analyzing it. That's for sure. Um, so, Pierce, I want to talk about that a little bit. Uh, just kind of your overall thoughts on a youth bat having an embedded bat sensor in it. Yeah. So my first two thoughts when I saw it, right, were, was <clears throat> we all know when you, when you're talking about data, right, that data is king and, and whoever owns the data, right? Like whoever owns that data has something valuable. And so the first thing that I don't like about, the bat sensor and youth kids is, is we're trying to teach them what someone perceives to be the best swing possible at an age when they're not even, not even close to fully developed. Like they're, I, I see kids all the time swing changes when they got taller, when their when their femurs got longer, when their, when their arms got longer, they go through a change of where the swing changes or their throwing action changes. And so like chasing that at a youth kid makes no sense, right? Like I know people who use it on their youth kids and it's like six months ago, he was, he was doing it great. And when he was right on the numbers, he hit in the game. And now all of a sudden we can't get the numbers right. It's like, yeah, cause he grew, man. <laughs> it, it'll be fine. Like he's trying to figure out the new space, the new, the new strength, the new everything. And like, so that's, that's number one, why I don't like it on youth kids. Like we don't need it to develop them. And I just think you 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 change their focus, which can hinder the kid in the future. But number two, right, going back to the data, you've now you've now put it in a game bat, right? You've now put it in a game bat that's going to be used in perfect game tournaments, if you will, a lot, right? It's where most of the games are being played. It's going to be a lot. And if you think said bat sensor company or bat company, whoever's going to get the money on this is going to give that the perfect game, you're crazy. No, they're going to have, if they sell 100,000 bats, they're sitting on a lot of data. And perfect game is going to say, wait a minute, man, like we want the, we want the swing speed and the connect, all the connection scores. We want that in our stuff because we know people care about it because they think it's the most important thing. There's people out there who do that. And so said bat sensor and bat company is going to put a price on it. And then Perfect Games going to pay that price because they want it. They want to put it on their website. And who do you think that trickles down to? Then it goes over to the tournament costs, right? Then it goes into the showcase costs. And now that then gets pushed right back onto the team, which gets pushed right back onto the player. So we've driven up the cost of a bat. The bats are already too hot. We can go into that. They're too expensive. $300 for a kid to have a decent bat to compete in 12-year baseball. We just bumped the price up in it. We made the kid pay a subscription fee, right? So he can get his numbers. Then the numbers are going all the way through. It's coming all the way back around. And now his tournament dues are going to go up to play select baseball because of all the money changing hands. He, so you want to talk du about double taxation that everybody complains about in this country. Like <laughs> there you go right there. Like you're, you're getting, you're paying for this numerous times, right? So it was genius to put it into a bat for game models of 12 year olds because they know we'll sell. And the next thing we know is going to go into the ranking process. It's going to go, it's going to go into who gets invited to what showcases or what slug fest events there are, because we know who, who swings the fastest bat at 12 U baseball is going to hit the most homers. This isn't rocket science, right? Like, so it's going to give them an easy way to do that, identify them to bring them to more events. And it just hurts so many kids. The kid who doesn't can't afford the bat, the kid who can't swing the bat as fast as the other kids at 12. It's just another another in-your-face argument to the late developer, you're not good enough. And he's gonna quit because he doesn't swing it fast enough at 12, or he can't afford the bat. So there's my little rant on why 
if you think it's good for youth baseball and you're in this to to better the youth baseball market and like you missed it you missed it completely yeah i mean that's that's a really 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 deep take um yeah there's a whole lot to unpack in there uh, if you think about where this discussion started and kind of talking about you know what can a bat sensor actually tell you and it's it's really difficult from a development standpoint to integrate you know a bat sensor into your process in, in any kind of meaningful way right now we're over here talking about like okay you know we're selling it as a development tool or as a way for you to be able to get your data and game this out whatever to a bunch of youth parents who don't understand the rocket science and the youth players certainly don't understand the rocket science you add add in the fact that these kids aren't full grown um you obviously have the exposure funnel element in it too i mean like it gets really 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 muddy really really quick and you know this is kind of where i want to finish this conversation is talking about how hard the data is to interpret right so we understand that like okay are there parts of this data that we can't even trust yeah we talk about that uh now we're over here talking about putting it in youth bats and it's not easy to interpret and i i think that is probably like the very core of this conversation is like what's the value of a developmental tool if there isn't an obvious way to apply it to your process okay so if a bunch of people are using it as a developmental tool and they don't know how to apply it to their process that opens the door for misapplication because they think they understand it and then they're applying something that they don't even understand, which might be doing more damage than good in the long run. So um, I know that there are clubs that use it. I know that there's college programs that use it, um, bat sensors, but <laughs> I haven't come across any kind of consensus on how to apply the data from a developmental standpoint um, from any corner of baseball with anybody that I've discussed. And I know people in player development with professional clubs and I know, you know, college coaches, high school coaches, travel, everybody, right. There isn't really a consensus on like, okay, if I have a bat sensor, this is how I'm going to use it to help my players get better. Right. So, um, kind of the last topic here is the dangers of misapplication of hard to interpret data on youth players, specifically Pierce, going back to what you're talking about, these kids aren't fully physically developed. What are the long run implications of attempting to apply bat sensor data to a 10 year old? I, I mean, I think the data is so new that we don't know. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't, I, outside of making, making things that are supposed to be natural, unnatural. I don't know the answer to that. Right. Like, I think the biggest hindrance on a youth player is you're taking the natural ability for them to move out of them because they're worried about, is this a good swing because I hit it on the barrel and it hit the back net? Or now, is this a good swing because I hit it on the barrel and hit it into the gap? Or is it a good swing because the app said so? I mean, I can see it now. I can see this in select baseball now. Kid goes – one for two with a with a walk, a line out, and a double, and dad or coach getting in the truck saying, hey, that's great and all, but you didn't hit your numbers, but you didn't do this. And I saw another post on social media that I thought was ironic that using Hawkeye, a guy took a ball that was outside the strike zone and hit it into – the outfield to win a minor league baseball championship, if I'm right. And it won the game It walked off the game, but yet somebody told that guy it was a bad swing decision. Right. And that might kind of, that kind of blew up on social media that why would you tell someone that was a bad swing decision? Well, let's think about that. Can both be true? Yeah. All right. Bad swing decision, but you saw something you can, you can hit, right. You can hit, and and you did and you won the game and that's awesome 
I think adults can realize that, right? An adult double-A player can walk away from that and understand the conversation. If I make that swing decision a hundred times, I'm not going to hit that hit to win games, a, a large number of them, right? I think an adult can understand that. But can a kid understand that a dad that you just went two for two with two doubles, but we're not happy because the the data said that your swing was bad or your swing was not perfect, right? And it's just like, why are we even giving that to someone to use that argument? Because it's going to be had. Oh, yeah, it was great, but. No, man, it was great. It was great. Just like it was great the minor leaguer won the game, it was great the 12-year-old kid hit two for two, right? Like, And we just opened that box on kids that were already hard on them when they get in the truck after games. We just – now they just can't be right. Can the kid not be right? Would you rather, hey, man, I know you struck out three times today, but, dude, your swings on, on this were, like, perfect. Well, so which one is it? Like, he's the kids are now can't be right. Because if you think Johnny on the 12U team is going to go have 13 at-bats this weekend and get it right on the data and on the, on the result, like, you're wrong. Like, he's going to be wrong somewhere. And I'd argue big leaguers are wrong somewhere on – one of those two a lot but yeah you, you bring up you bring up something here that i don't even know if you intended to bring up which is when data really entered the the feedback loop for players whether it's you know in game preparation or in development or whatever it is the professional baseball level there were some players that provided feedback years ago um you know five six years ago when when some of these teams were starting to feed them a lot of data before the game where they were like Hey, if I'm going to get data before the game, I need like three quick bullet points. I can't be like given like a two page essay that I need to sift through and read. And if you're giving me that every single day, like I'm not focused on what I need to do to go out and win the baseball game. I'm trying to interpret what's going on here. Right. So it's like, and, and I, I, I see this recently with um, a player over at Slammers, right? He's a, he's a college baseball player. Uh, I know the dad well, and the dad's like, he's obsessed with his data, whether it's, you know, pitching data, performance data, whatever it is. He wants, he like constantly wants the feedback from the data, right? So now, like, we're, we're potentially, I mean, we're potentially introducing at a much younger age, a reliance on data, a reliance on feedback, um, a reliance on, okay, you know, did I do good today? What's the data say? You know, like, it's not just like, hey, go out there and have fun and and play the game. It's like, okay, I went out there, I had fun, and I played the game, and, and now that's what the data says. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? And it's like that is not the objective of youth sports. And I've got no problem with a competitive athlete, whether it's at a high level of high school baseball or collegiate baseball or professional baseball, seeking data for their process. They need that feedback. They're chasing something much bigger than just having fun on the field. They're not in it to just have fun on the field. Yes, we'd love our collegiate players to have fun on the field. We love our professional players to have fun on the field. But like if you're a professional baseball player, like this is your livelihood. If you're a collegiate baseball player, like you're playing for your roster spot. Mm -hmm. If you're an 11 year old, you don't need data feedback because you don't need to be making game by game adjustments because all you're out there to do is have fun with your friends. And I, I think the fact that, you know, these, We've men mentioned this many times already, but the fact that these individuals are kids, they're growing, they're about to go through puberty and potentially grow a lot, look very different than they are. Um, you know, I think that's a big element of it, too, that it's not necessarily needed at that point. Having fun, enjoying the sport, wanting to put in the work so you do get better and getting some results so you enjoy playing the sport. Those are the things that are probably most important. But I think it also brings up another topic that, you know, as, as Pierce was, was, was speaking, that came to my head. And I think it ties in a little bit to one of the last questions that we had with Ryland a couple of weeks ago, which is I can read pitch data. I can read hitting data. I have an understanding of what it means and can probably have a pretty good idea of what the player looks like from looking at that. Now, applying that data in a way that, a tread wood for a pitcher, you know, a pierce wood for a hitter is very different. And I'm not qualified to, to analyze that and say, this is what you need to change, but I'm dangerous enough. And this is what's dangerous with coaches 
who may get a certification or a qualification with these devices, but not truly understand how to coach around it. Take that feedback and information and you know put it toward things that are actually going to drive results and success for that particular player. What it's going to do for it, there's going to be a lot of guys out there, and this isn't going to happen in pro ball because you have checks and balances with other coaches and people checking in on things and feedback, et cetera. They could be guys in wherever town and whatever little league, whatever hitting instructor that gets their hands on stuff like this. And it honestly does a lot of harm to these players because he's coaching to the wrong things. He's looking at the wrong numbers. He's telling them that things are important that are important, but not really understanding how to get to those important numbers in the correct way. So it's just, it's really dangerous in terms of putting it out there and having some of these potential individuals that are unchecked that are going to be working with young players and could really do a lot of damage to their swings and just the success they're going to see after. And, you know, I think that's part of it too. Just the application of it is not necessarily going to be clean for a lot of hitting coaches and folks that don't necessarily really know it. But I think yeah, just give me a second here and then I'm going to let you hop in just like a full circle moment there. Like, you know, you're talking about how you gamed the, game the data and you're talking about like gaming the data to get a player to a certain benchmark. And it's like, well, what if the coaches that Jeff are talking, like Jeff's talking about actually thinks he's unlocked something and he actually thinks he's some kind of swing guru because he can achieve certain metrics and he's not developing hitters. Right. So now there's this entire focus on his time with the players or her time with the players could be softball too. Right. Their time with the players, there's this focus on trying to achieve certain metrics and yeah, I mean that but that's that's where that's where instructions gotten, right? Like you can you can you can go ask my name around, right? And I guarantee you because of where I stand on these conversations, the people who are all in on tech that just want to be all in on it and like they come at you with this with this like, "Well, I have more tech than you and I'm smarter than you and I've researched this and I've read this book and I've done this." that you can't have a conversation with them. And then the other side of the argument is like this anti-data. I played at the highest level and I did this and you don't know anything. And I, right. And it's like these two sides here. And I, I feel like a lot of the times I'm the one in the middle and I see both arguments to this. I see the tech guy like, dude, you're just pushing everybody away because you don't even know what it means. And so you talk so big to where no one can ask you anything, right? Like, and it's just like, you just you just speak it in such a way that you make it sound like fact, like it's fact. And if I argue with you, I'm an idiot, like, and I'm not as smart as you. And that that that's offensive, right? And it's also offensive to the tech guy when the guy who actually hit 300 in the big leagues is over here saying, that's not what I did. That's not how I did it. You don't know, you're an idiot. I don't care how smart you are, nerd, or whatever it is that gets called. And it's just this constant, like, this constant battle. And so, in my opinion, the truth is in the middle. But we have found ourselves at a place that if you know data and you can go, like, put together this awesome resume about how much you know on force plates and Kinetrax and Hawkeye and, and this and that and all this stuff, you can go get a job really fast, right? Like, and we're going to find out if you can coach. But you, you, those guys are the ones getting jobs. Um, going back to the other, the other part of this, um, before, before you, you went, I was trying to think of where I, what I was going to say in that, in that, in that mix right there. Oh, I know what it was. The only data, the only data I could give a crap about on a 14 U player down that anybody should care about is swing decision, just swing decision. Like, do you take balls that are balls and do you swing at strikes? That's it. And once the player gets to that level that like he takes the ones he's supposed to take and he swings at the ones he's supposed to swing at, how well are you hitting the ones you're supposed to swing at? And at 9, 10, 11, 12, like 13, that, that's all this game is. Like that's all it is. Can you can you be disciplined enough up there to not swing at the ones you're not supposed to swing at? And when you swing at the right ones, are you hitting them? And once you like, let's get through all those hoops first before we start saying, all right, man, like 
you're a 17-year-old or 16-year-old and you're not recruited yet, maybe we need to kind of look into the data and see where you're falling short so we can improve your metrics. We can improve how hard you throw. We can improve how hard you hit it. We can clean up things in the swing to make you hit it harder, more consistently to all fields. But at 12, like, do you swing at the right ones and take and take the wrong ones? That That's it. And when you swing, do you hit it? That With my kid, that's all I care about. And it's hard. It's hard because he does a good job at that. He, he actually does a good job of taking the ones he's supposed to take and swing at the ones he's supposed to swing at. And as a hitting coach, not dad, as a hitting coach, I get frustrated when it doesn't seem like he's swinging the bat as hard as he can. And he's not hitting the ball as hard as others. But then I start to see the more I stress on him swinging the bat harder, we start to tilt the other way of like, now we start to swing at things that we shouldn't be swinging at, or now the swing is starting to like swing and miss a lot. It's like, all right, man, how do I keep it? How do I keep it in the middle here and worry about bat speed and hitting homers when we get older? So anyway. Yeah, I think it, it, I think the whole thing is we need something to track kids swing decisions. Hey, there you go. <laughs> Foreshadowing. <laughs> Pierce, you working on something over there? Uh, no, but I, I think the whole thing here is really just like it, it, especially for me, is just youth kids 12 and under don't need the same things that high school kids need, don't need the same things that competitive high school kids need, don't need the same things that collegiate kids need, don't need the same things that professionals need. And I think that when you start to delineate the information that's being provided or is available for players at each level, you just, again, I, I always just, I worry about the parent of the 11 year old who doesn't know any better, who thinks their kid's already a big leaguer, who's trying to take, get all of the data and trying to do all of the things for an 11. And, and that is just absolutely not necessary. In 99, I mean, you want to talk about probabilities, Pierce, like that ball, that was a bad swing decision that won that playoff game. Well, you know, the, it's it's kind of like the other way around, right? Where like the probabilities of injecting all of this data into a kid's process at 11 years old, that's that's the bad swing decision, right? Like there's a very small percentage that doing that is actually going to help your kid or if anything, not mess your kid up. Um yeah, at the end of the day, man, like I think I don't know if we've said it. It just stinks that we're that we're using tools on kids because we're projecting if they're going to be an SEC or big league baseball player. Like, because that's the only reason you're doing this. The only reason you care that much about data, this kind of data on kids, is because you you your vision is so far past, right? Like it's so far past that you, you just don't even know, man. Like you don't, you don't, you don't know. Well, and that's, that's the thing is that the people who are, are looking at the marketing materials for a bat with a sensor in it for a youth kid are looking at this as a developmental tool. Whereas the underlying motive that they can't see past because they're just not aware, they're not educated enough is that this is just a mass data collection. They do not care <laughs> if you improve your swing metrics, they don't care any of these things. They're looking at very specific things and it's a mass data collection. It goes back to what you said before, whoever has the data is king, data is worth a lot of money. It's a mass data collection on youth players. And I think that's where my issue is with it. Again, I don't have any beef with bat sensors just in general, you know, as a tool, if someone finds value in it for a competitive player, but anytime you start to prey on a very specific age group 12 and under <laughs> i mean that's what ah, God, i don't know and, and if you've made it this far listening please understand everybody on this call from my understanding on this on this talk is pro data it's absolutely pro yeah, totally <laughs> it's, it's, it's pro analytics like we're not objective we're not data is important huh Objective data is important. It's important. Like there are ways important. that objective data can be part of a youth kid's development. 
I think there, there are ways that it can be a really important part of their development. It's just, again, it's things that aren't applicable to a not grown kid. <laughs> yeah, agreed. So anyway. All right. Well, there you have it. That was our bat sensor uh, conversation. We've determined they are in fact real. Yeah, <laughs> another, another episode of the 90th Capriotis. We didn't say it once, so I'm going to say it now so we can keep our streak up. We've been tweeting about you guys, but people are talking Capriotis. They're finding your locations. We're here. You can advertise. We're happy to help. They found you in Charlotte. <laughs> All right. Hey, but I found another one. I found another one. It just opened up by my house. What's it called, Maddie? I called you about it. Chiba Hut. Chiba Hut. Chiba Hut. That sounds like a head shop in Massachusetts. And on that note, I'm going to end.